0: Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Uh, but before I introduce my guest today, I just want to have a quick reminder to all the men that are out there to head on over to the Man Talks community on Facebook and join the conversation. It's, it's totally free and it's a really, really incredible resource. So um, so whether you are a, a guy listening to this and you want to join a, a great group of men having great conversations, getting some feedback, or whether you are a lady that's listening to this and, and maybe have a man in your life that you can direct towards that, um, please head on over and check it out because it's a great resource and for all the guys that are looking to go a little bit deeper and maybe do some uh, some group work with an incredible group of men that are really committed to making a difference in their own lives and the lives of the group, uh, you should definitely check out the Alliance. It is a group that myself and Trevor bone lead um, and we have weekly calls weekly video calls where we dive into the twelve principles of a self led man and we work on pr- we work on pur- purpose and we work on mindset and we work on relationships and sex and intimacy. And so we work on all of these topics in there and and all the men support one another. So you should definitely head on over and check out the Alliance. Um, So who's joining me today? His name is Mr. Andrew Horn, and I've actually wanted to have him come on the show now for quite some time. So I am excited to have him here today. Uh, And just to give you some context, Andrew is a serial social entrepreneur, speaker and writer based in Brooklyn. Uh, he is a global shaper at the World Economic Forum and was selected to start up Boosts 30 un- 33 under 33 and received the Mayor's Community Service Award in Washington, D.C. at the age of 23, which is pretty crazy because when I think about myself at 23, I was working construction in a gravel pit in northern Alberta trying to decide what I should do with my life. So, <laughs> so Andrew has been doing some pretty amazing things from a very young age. Uh, so in 2014, he launched Tribute.co, which the New Yorker recently called Hallmark 2.0. And it's really interesting because what it does is it creates a collaborative video montage that you can give away as a gift uh, on any important occasion. So like a um, a birthday or an anniversary or a wedding present or anything like that. So it's a really, really amazing uh, amazing gift, and it's responsible for 75,000 plus uh, tributes or videos that have launched since. And it's also recently closed a $1.2 million seed round in 2016 and is planning a large-scale expansion. So it's it's really ramping up. Um, before launching Tribute, though, Andrew did a lot of um, nonprofit work. And so he he actually worked uh, and, and started a award-winning children's nonprofit called Dreams for Kids. And in the three years after he established it, the organization was one of the premier Adaptive athletic providers in Washington, D.C., which means that um, they actually brought kids with disabilities to play sports with professional teams like the Washington Capitals and the Washington Redskins. So uh, he was able to build a bit of a succession plan, stepped down from that in 2011, and he started another nonprofit venture called Ability List, uh, which basically is a, a Craigslist for people with disabilities. So a- absolutely amazing work. He's done some phenomenal. Phenomenal work, and outside of that, he started an organization called Junto, um, which we talk about a little bit in the in the episode. But it's really a, a, a men's weekend, um, and it's a men's weekend where guys can go and kind of have like an initiation, or a passive initiation. Um, and uh, and if you're looking to do that type of work, um, keep your head, keep your keep your eyes open, because I'm actually going to be running several men's weekends this year. And we're going to be launching them soon. Uh, Some are going to be on the West Coast. Some are going to be on the East Coast. Um, But either way, guys, I would love to have you as a part uh, of these men's weekends. We talk about initiation rites. We go into finding purpose and uh, healing your past and being able to really claim the life that you want right now in your purpose, in your career, and in your relationship, and in all aspects of your life. Uh, So stay stay tuned for that. Um, But in this episode, Andrew and I go go into a few different topics we actually start off by by talking about communication and um, just just how uh, his life has unfolded to help him really be an expert in communication and um, and he shares some really great insights into how to communicate properly uh, at work in your work environment with your team but also with your partner and he shares some some personal things that he does. Uh, between him and his partner, his wife Mickey, uh, and then we actually go into some modern topics, so we talk about modern masculinity, we look at some of the challenges that have been that have been happening lately. We look at the Gillette ad, why it was so controversial, and we talk about many different sides of why this ad is so polarizing, why it sparked such a wildfire amongst men in in sort of mainstream media and, and mainstream content, um, and out of that, we actually talk about uh, initiation. And why there is this huge sort of battle that seems to be happening uh, in in culture right now between the uh, immature masculine and the mature masculine. And so we we create a distinction between those two. And then we actually talk about um, how those things have come into, into being and how we can actually create initiation passages or passages of initiation for men to actually mature so it's a really great podcast. We go into a ton of detail. Uh, so without any further delay, please welcome Mr. Andrew Horn.
1: man. Very excited to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great. I mean, we've been—I've uh, heard about you and and of you for years now, and uh, and somehow we didn't manage. We haven't managed to connect, but it's it must be perfect timing because you're here now, and I'm excited for this interview. So let's uh, let's just dive straight in. Let's dive straight in with with the question, which is tell us. A story about a defining moment in your life that's made you who you are today.
1: You know, I would say that a defining moment of my life, uh, the first one that comes to mind right now would probably be the moment I think it happened on September 1st, 2012, no, 2011. And it was the moment that I decided to ask a woman to marry me uh, three days after hanging out with her for really the first time. And, uh, that kind of impulsive decision to propose to this woman who challenged me and inspired me and terrified me, uh, ended up being one of the best decisions of my life because that woman has uh, become my wife. The mother of my child has been the catalyst for, I think, more growth and joy than just about anything else I've ever experienced. And, uh, it was a, a moment at uh, at Burning Man in 2011 of uh, going to Burning Man for the first time ever and going with this woman who's a friend. Her name's Mickey. She's an incredible entrepreneur powerhouse. Um, and after three days being together, um, I was like hesitant to dive into the relationship uh, right off the bat because I just had this feeling that you know, even though she, I immediately thought of her as a best friend, but I just had this feeling that if I were to go in on this to do anything romantic with her, that it was going to call for a lot. And as a 24-year-old kid, I was so focused on kind of manifesting my own purpose and building out my first company and figuring out all these other things. And so falling in love or kind of committing my time and my energy and my focus to relationship felt like uh, a distraction from those things that I knew were so important to me. But I think what I learned from that moment, uh, looking back on it, is that like we, we try and hoard our time and our freedom to be able to create what we want, especially as, as men. Uh, but that oftentimes it's, it's when we commit to those really deep, powerful relationships that those are the moments. That's the intimacy that kind of challenges us and actually allows us to really kind of transcend who we are and, and become... You know whatever we're, we're destined to be, and so that was one of the first kind of moments where I really felt that. Is like I committed to this powerful, powerful relationship, and it's one of the, the most important things about it. It's
0: incredible, man. I, I love that. Love that share, and 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 love your story. I think it's you know it's so interesting. Most guys, not all, but many guys, talk about meeting, you know, their their partner and knowing. I know for myself, like when I met Vienna, there was something about her initially that I was like excited and exhilarated about. But also, there was a part of me that was like, "Oh man, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know about this." <laughs> it's like you know, a little, a little terrifying, right? That like younger part of me that was just like, "How is this? This is going to take some work on on my side." Because we were also three thousand miles apart. But also, just who she was as, as a woman was just like wow, I would really, uh, I would really get the opportunity to be my best version in this relationship. And I remember myself thinking that, and then also thinking that's going to take some work on my part. That's going to take some doing. So did, did you have that same experience or what, what was that like for you when you first kind of came across that?
1: Yeah, I think it was it was exactly that. You know, I, I had just basically left my my first nonprofit, this this organization called Dreams for Kids. We did and still do adaptive athletics for kids with disabilities in around DC. And so I was on this kind of place of really opening myself up to what was the next business, what I really want to throw myself into? And kind of like I was just talking about, is uh, Mickey is just this powerhouse, and one of her superpowers is just knowing exactly what she wants and, and asking for it. And I think that at that point in my life, I was still formulating a real strong sense of self, building up self-love and really trusting my own voice. And so to be with a woman who was seven years older than I was and more experienced as an entrepreneur, more experienced sexually, more experienced in long-term relationships, she had such clarity about what she wanted. And I was still formulating so many of those things about what I wanted for myself uh, sexually what i wanted for myself professionally you know what kind of boundaries i needed to erect in a relationship and so you know in many ways it's just kind of like throwing myself into the lion's den of uh, mm. going up and being faced with that about realizing that you know, in these strong partnerships what's so powerful is that you know, when, when people really ask for what they want it, that it empowers the other person to do that for themselves and so that was probably one of the greatest gifts of that relationship is that it forced me to really find this kind of strength and trust in my own voice and to bring that into the relationship. And now that's something that I really bring into all of my relationships is the idea that if I need anything, if I want something, if I'm frustrated or upset or not getting something that I need, you know, I, feel, I feel kind of uh, righteous in, in my, my ability to be able to just ask for that because I know that by doing that and opening up a dialogue where they feel that they can do the same thing, that it really allows relationships to evolve to the next level and support both parties. So uh, hmm. that was really my experience
0: of it early on. Nice. What was what was your journey of of actually starting to embody that? Cause I, I know that for a lot of guys, you know, they enter into a relationship and maybe how they've been in the past is not how they want to show up in that relationship or how they want to show up in the future. But it can be very confronting to start to to really embrace some of the qualities that you're talking about. You know, giving direction for yourself in the relationship, being able to set some of those boundaries in the relationship and say, you know, here's, here's what, here's where my non-negotiables are. Here's, here's what I won't necessarily, um, like put up with in the relationship, but at the same time, you know, here's what I want in the relationship. How, how did you, how did you leverage curiosity in really defining what it was that you wanted in your relationship? I think that's, that's really the question that I wanted to ask.
1: You know, I will be the first one to say that we had help and I think it's like one of the best things that we've ever done. And one of the things that I I always share with with couples, wherever they're at in their their journey, is about two years in, uh, Mickey and I were having a lot of challenges connecting in the bedroom. It's, you know, the sex that I was having was very much a part of like my drunken bachelor lifestyle and the type of sex that she was having was the type of sex that she'd been having with her long-term boyfriends of five and six years. So very, very connected, very slow. You know, she was getting exactly what she wanted. So I just remember that that's like a a, a kind of microcosm of we were coming at sex from these two different angles. I wanted something different than wanting what she wanted, not having a language to talk about it. And so oftentimes parties just getting triggered and shutting down the conversation, not being able to to hear the other person because we're hurt. And so about two years into our relationship, we connected with this incredible life coach named Warren Zander who started a a coaching practice here in New York. And uh, the thing that that established for us was creating a code of conduct for communication specifically. So creating a code of conduct so that when we got into a disagreement, there was a shared agreement about how we were going to communicate with one another. And the essence of that agreement is that you you are not the same people. You approach problems, you approach life differently, but to make sure that we're actually having a conversation that we're hearing one another, um, there are certain rules in terms of how we communicate. So it's as soon as someone says how they're feeling or how they perceive some sort of event that had taken place, the other party has to first call that back to them and say, here's what I'm hearing you saying. You know, I understand where you're coming from, has to acknowledge the other person's point of view before they can express their own. And so it's this idea of having both parties feel like they're being heard so that we can express you know, different viewpoints, uh, different takes that are coming into a conversation, and then you know, again, having this third party that was able to come into the relationship and help us to negotiate in places, which is simply saying it's like, here's what I want, here's what I want, and then basically helping us to create compromises in areas where you know we can meet in the middle. So, you know, having that third party to come in and establish that code of conduct for disagreement for communication was one of the the smartest things that we ever did, and you know, our relationship with her got so deep over the years that she's actually the, the godmother of our, our baby boy, hero.
0: Nice. Nice, man. That's amazing. I, I think what you're what you're saying there really resonates in so many ways because you're you're really talking about how two people in a relationship dynamic can get their needs met. And I think that's really the game, right? Like that's <laughs> in many ways, that's the game that we play, play in relationships is like, how do I get my needs met? Make sure that those needs are are healthy, obviously. But how do I get my needs met in a way that is respectful to me, but also respectful to p- to the partner and, and navigating some of those waters when people have grown up in, you know, very sort of staunch religious views or very specific outlooks on what should happen you know, before marriage or after marriage, or kids or living together—you know—all of those narratives are circling around within the two people that come together. So, uh, I really appreciate that that perspective. So, there's a bunch of things that I wanted to talk to you about today, and and I'm sure that we'll get into them organically. You know, you you've done some some men's work that I think we should definitely touch on. Um, but I, I'm curious to to begin with on how how would you describe what it is that you do because you have a few different things that you really have uh, built up over the last few years and, and of which are all, are all very successful. So when, when people ask you, you know, Andrew, what is it that you do? How do you describe yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I just started to chunk it into three buckets. So I would say that the the three C's would be community connection and communication. And so in the realm of community, you know, since I, had this powerful conversation with a mentor right out of college. I uh, just realized this call to service, being that like I had no sense of purpose coming out of college, no idea what I wanted to do with my life, but uh, recognized these experiences I had working with young people with disabilities when I was younger and realized that you know, I basically had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew that the time I spent helping these kids was something that I was proud of. So I just kind of threw my life into service and social entrepreneurship, that led me to build this organization called dreams for kids, which is now, you know, one of the the largest adaptive athletic providers in DC doing, you know, adaptive hockey with the Washington capitals, adaptive Mm -hmm. water skiing with, you know, kids with developmental physical disabilities. And I did that for three years and then realized the more fundamental kind of things that got in the way of young people with disabilities fully integrating in their communities, living full lives. And so we built an online platform that, Kind of connects the disability community and allows them to share all the resources that are available to them so you know that was really just creating these events these experiences and then technology platforms that allowed this often marginalized community to connect with one another and, and really just kind of live more the lives that they that they want for themselves and so that was uh, you know one of my first entrepreneurial experiences and then, uh, as we went into human connection, I had this experience on my uh, 27th birthday where my uh, now wife uh, was girlfriend at the time, Mickey, decided to get 27 of my closest friends and family members to film a one-minute video telling me why they love me. And then I came into uh, my apartment that night and she surprised me with all these people awaiting my apartment and puts this video up on this projection screen and I sit in the back of the room watching, you know, this guy, Matt, tell me I'm his best friend for the first time. Both of my parents tell me how proud of me they are. And I just sat in the back of the room bawling my eyes out for 20 minutes because it was the most incredible experience ever. So watching my, my eulogy, you know, at, uh, at 27. And then after it was all done, I, I talked to my, my wife and was like, how'd you do this? And she says, well, it sucks. And tells me about 15 hours of, uh, Basically, collecting videos, uh, editing everything together, sending hundreds of reminders, and so we built this uh, platform called Tribute, which automates that 15-hour process into 15 minutes. And so now uh, we make it easy for you know. Now we've created more than 125,000 of these videos, where uh, you know you imagine Connor waking up on his birthday and getting one of these from every single person he knows, telling them why they admire him and love him, and. Uh, so we've just kind of automated the process of creating the most meaningful gift on earth. And, you know, this was a, an effort to really use technology to facilitate real meaningful human connection, we've really started to dig into a lot of the, the research and the science around human connection and what it does for our body from a biological standpoint, everything from, you know, decreasing cortisol by 23%. And we have strong ties to improving emotional re- resilience, ability to deal with stress, trauma, all sorts of amazing things, and so that's what really got me passionate about you know, the, the the hard line impact of strong ties in our lives, and uh, so that was a, a really really powerful turn where I realized that human connection and, and fostering meaningful relationships for people was you know something that I deeply deeply cared about, and also something that I lacked you know when I was growing up in Hawaii as uh, one of the lone howlies in my school and, and didn't have the, the relationships that I really wanted. And so when I started to really care about human connection, I I looked at what is the thing that I believe gets in the way of deep, meaningful human connection. And I think it's people's inability to communicate effectively. And I think that that fundamental inability to trust your voice, to stop caring about what people think about you, to articulate the value of your ideas, uh, is something that has become really kind of epidemic in our our society, you know, with people turning for... technical platforms, not learning how to articulate their thoughts, not learning how to spend time in you know, dynamic situations offline with people. And so uh, this next venture with Junto, with, uh, with Social Flow, this book that's coming out, is really all about creating tools and experiences that allow people to connect deeply with themselves and uh, really transform their beliefs so that they can show up fully in their power wherever they go and you know leverage their authenticity their curiosity to, to connect deeply with anyone anywhere anytime. And so those are the three C's and what I'm up to in the world.
0: Nice man that's that's incredible. I love I love that you've uh, pa- you know sort of like packaged them up cuz I think sometimes when you know when we take on different projects it can kind of be like where's where's the line between all of them and how do they connect and uh, you know I really appreciate the fact that you have these three threads that actually connect everything that you do. And, you know, I think that's a good, I think that's a good sort of example for men that are out there that might have multiple projects, right? Maybe they have their profession or their business and then they got their side hustle uh, and and kind of seeing how all of those things fit together. I like the way that you've broken it down in, into themes. So one of the things that you really touched on there that yeah, I found uh, to be really relevant in not only the work that you do, but a lot of the work that we talk about uh, on man talks is is really this perspective of deep uh, relationships deep connections to the people that are in our lives and there 's been a, a, a direct correlation between you know health and longevity and mental and emotional health in specifically in men 's lives and and their uh, depth of connection in relationships and you know interestingly enough, I just got off a call with one of the men 's groups that I run uh, the the alliance, one of the virtual programs and one of the guys was saying, you know, I I just found out yesterday that one of the guys that is sort of like one of my acquaintances that I would normally keep in touch with and talk to once a year, uh, you know, every once in a while. He said, I last week, I was literally thinking to myself, I should reach out to him and see how he's doing. And he found out yesterday that this guy had passed away from cancer and he didn't even know that he had cancer. He didn't even know that he was battling with it. And he said, it was such an odd feeling because here's a man that... I could just pick up the phone or see him and have coffee. And, and it was the type of connection where you can just pick up where you left off, right? You can just pick pick up right, right where you left off. And I think a lot of guys have those types of connections, right? So when you say, hey, do you have a close friend? Most guys are like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I have this connection, this relationship with other men where I can just pick up where, where I left off. The challenge is, is that as the older that you get, which I'm sure that you you know you, you're familiar with, the older that you get, the more that you have less time and family kicks in. And you're taking care of kids and and suddenly those relationships drift further and further apart. So from the work that you do, how have you seen um, really healthy friendships be maintained? And, and then secondly, um, not only how do we maintain good friendships, but how do we begin them? Because I think that a lot of men... Uh, are really challenged by trying to begin and start new relationships, especially when they get into like their 30s and 40s. It seems to be a big challenge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I'll address I think two questions that I heard there, which is how do we maintain these meaningful relationships, mm-hmm. and the second, which is how do we create them? Yeah. And both of those, I had pretty distinct experiences with. And I think uh, that first one about how do we maintain these important relationships, and like one of the counterintuitive things that I oftentimes talk about, because now I, I work with uh, a lot of companies to create systems for meaningful communication and basically how do we increase engagement between employees just through establishing you know, a construct for, for better communication. And um, one of the things that I oftentimes talk about is how oftentimes social media and technology are demonized as these tools that lead to disconnection or, you know, meaningless surface level connection online. But there's actually research that shows that, you know, the way that social media, the way that the internet contributes to our relationships just depends on the way that we use it. It's like the idea of the car. When the car first was introduced... You know, it was fundamentally polluting the internet, uh, the uh, the environment, and letting all these toxic fumes. And people were driving drunk, and so it wasn't necessarily that the car was bad. It was just that how we use it. And now we've learned to evolve and use it more properly, so that people are safer, protects the environment more effectively. And so the same thing with technology is that you know when you're on social media, one of the simplest things that you can do with your relationships is a simple practice is that they call this passive browsing. Is that if you are just on instagram on facebook and you're browsing without interacting that that's exponentially more likely to lead to these kind of decrease in in subjective well-being but if you are viewing people that you're close with and you make uh, a conscious choice to interact with those posts i know it's even going further than a like but the action of actually commenting on those posts is something that's significant enough that requires enough thought that it's kind of this action of appreciation that's actualized that does lead to a deeper level of connection and actually uh, increases in subjective well-being uh, when we're kind of talking about browsing. So using even those those portals that we're on you know, almost every day for most of us, and then also even using techni- like technology tools like Tribute, things like that, where you know we we created an app where now you can get all your friends' birthdays and every single year, the same way that you know the Facebook wall used to be something that was so powerful. You wake up and you have all these messages from people, and you feel so special. And now that's kind of gone by the wayside because you realize that that's just a, a bunch of people pressing one and automatic happy birthday messages are coming through. But, you know, how do you take those milestone moments in people's lives to really kind of acknowledge them? And so I think that birthdays and anytime something positive is happening in your friend's lives is that if you can't be with them all the time, like what I always say is just celebrate the shit out of their milestones. Because if you just keep in touch with them, if they're posting something positive, if they have a birthday. If you just take those moments to celebrate the shit out of your friends, out of your loved ones, that is, in my opinion, enough to keep a thread alive where you guys can check in on those milestones and we'll have a really positive impact on, on sustaining some of those more meaningful relationships.
0: And, 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 and not only, you know, not only for, for friendships, but intimate relationships, but you know, it's, it's been uh, studied and and well-documented by uh, by a lot of researchers that are are looking at things like appreciation and and validation and how when we share appreciation with the people in our life, that that actually main, that's actually like the glue, the connective tissue that keeps that relationship together, and how we express appreciation with the with the other men in our life lives and we celebrate with them, right? We celebrate those milestones like you're talking about can go a long way to having them feel connected to you and you feeling connected to them, and it can open up those those conversations and dialogues. So uh, I just want to like reaffirm that there's some there's some great research by uh Daniel Goleman on this and um the other guy I'm totally blanking on right now, but it'll it'll come back. <laughs> so I just want to drop that in there.
1: It might be it might be the the guys I know that the people over at the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley do a lot of really powerful research on especially the gratitude in the workplace, what it does for the body. But for those of you who are listening who are whether you're in a leadership role or company, whether you have your own company, um the the importance of gratitude and appreciation of work is so fundamental and we often never really call it out for such. But Gallup did a poll in 2014 and found out that the number one reason that people leave their jobs in America is because they don't feel appreciated. And so the the number one driver of employee engagement is not salary, is not bonus, is not benefits. It's just their relationship with their peers, is how connected they feel to other people. So creating an environment where people feel empowered to share their appreciation more actively in real time is so important. It's like when we think of appreciating our employees, like pay your people right, do them right, give them the benefits they need so they can take care of their families and live their lives, but appreciation is such a fundamental part of the human connection that we need in our lives and if we spend a third of our lives at our companies, that we need to as leaders really model those types of systems and and make those things uh, accessible for the people that work with us. So it's it's huge and something that we should really spend a lot more time thinking nice. about. nice nice man yeah and then um you know outside of that in terms of how we create uh new friendships you know this was i would say one of the biggest turning points in my life is uh i moved to new york to uh to move in with mickey in probably 2014 and i remember that I, I just had this moment where one of my friends had taken me to the turkish bath in in new york in east village have you ever been there before
0: Uh, not yet. I've heard of it. Is this, is this like the air baths?
1: It's not the air. So the air bath is very nice. The Turkish bath is kind of grimy and gross, but it's like old school New York. And it's, it's uh, it's an amazing experience. I love it. And so a friend took me there and I always remember it was my buddy, Alex. And we were in there for an hour and a half and there's no phones and you're in the sauna and you're in the steam and you're in the plunge pool. And then we just spent an hour and a half at this weird experience. And I remember that I walked out of there and we had probably hung out a couple of times before that. But after this one experience, I just felt so connected to this guy. Like We were really friends. It was because we had this quality time. And literally after that experience, I made a point of looking at who are the guys in New York that I really want to be friends with. And what I made a point to do was not to go out to a party or go out with them, but just to do the exact same thing of like, let's go to the baths and the baths are the best. And so I would have these moments with you know, whether it was like Jesse Israel who's been on your podcast, or so whether it was, you know, Jonathan Swerdlin or like these other people that I really admired, I just go and I'd get this time with them, whether it's an hour and a half or two hours doing this cool thing, where it'd be dropped in, no distractions. And what I noticed is that these little one-on-one instances is that I could go months without seeing these guys, but because we had this time without distractions, and just completely like intimate and alone and going deep, is that I felt connected and I feel like they felt the same thing with me. And I just found that, you know, those types of experiences of one-on-one were, for me were so much more energizing where I might go to a party or, you know, whatever it might be. And I could have a ton of fun, but I'd leave that experience of connecting with so many different people feeling somewhat drained. And so when I would go and do these one-on-ones, I would feel full. I'd feel energized. And I had this kind of shift of understanding of that. I had always thought of being social as being out with a bunch of people but that's bullshit why isn't being with one person being social it's a person right and so I started to focus my energy from like a social standpoint on like how do I actually just spend time in smaller groups of the people who I really care about and just having one-on-ones with like that core group of like 10 guys in New York led me to develop these incredible you know friendships with with all the guys who I'm still super super close with and so in terms of creating those, you know, really deep, uh, relationships that you really only need a couple of, you know, to feel totally fulfilled. I would say making a point to to set up those one-on-ones of like going to do something with just a single person or maybe, uh, you know, a couple of people is one of the easiest things you can do to really add depth, uh, into those relationships.
0: Nice. Nice. I, I like that. And I, you know, I think it is, it's so applicable for a lot of the guys that, you know, that tune into this podcast and then maybe the women as well. I think one of the, one of the caveats that I would just add in is that, you know, for the men that are out there that have that circle already, and uh, it's really about reinvesting or just investing altogether into those relationships and making sure that you prioritize them and create time for them and, you know, schedule the connects, like what Andrew is talking about. And for the guys that don't necessarily have those, cause I think, you know, in the man talks community on Facebook, some of the guys have said, Hey, you know, like a big challenge of mine is. I don't feel like I have those types of men in my life that I could even build those relationships with in the first place. And so I'm wondering if you can speak to that. I think one of the big things that, that I've found is, is encouraging them to, to get out to, you know, events like man talks or go to a men's weekend like the Mankind Project or, you know, junto or whatever it is, but actually putting yourself in the position of surrounding yourself with the type of men that you think you would like to connect with. And, and sort of testing out a few different environments. So have you ever gone through that process before?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you said that. And I've actually had a thought a lot about this whole mentality is that because I, I work with a lot of guys who again, are in places where they have friendships, a lot of them that have carried over from college or childhood that might not necessarily be serving who they are today. Mm-hmm. So how do you start from that place of building relationships with the type of people who are bringing what you want into your life. And so what I, what I say to these guys is don't think about going to find friends. Is Start with the question of what do I want to do more of? What are the things that I really enjoy doing right now? And so whether that is working out, whether that is watching sports, whether that is personal development and men's work, you know, whether that is mindfulness and meditation of like, what are the things that you are fundamentally fascinated by that you want more of in your life. So find those things that you just love doing for yourself. And then from that place, you're connected to a place of excitement and energy for what you want to do. And then from that place, you can go and search out the communities that are centered around those very activities, those disciplines. And then what happens is when you connect with people, you're meeting them at halfway because if you're going to Medi club, you know, Jess Israel starts, and you're going to meditate or learn about mindfulness, the people who are there share that interest. And so rather than coming from a place of need, of like wanting that friend, you're actually just connecting with people who want to do the same things as you. You're finding people who are going to actually go along the ride and do the types of things that you want to be doing more of in your life. And so I think that it's so much more empowering to understand what types of things you want to be doing more of. And then literally, whatever you love doing, there is a meetup for that in New York City. You know, if you're a growth hacker, like I just was talking to Scott Efferman for meetup and like you showed me you know, the the downhill long borders community of New York that has like 250 people, which is like an absurdly, you know, uh, obscure community, but there's 250 of them. And so, you know, that idea of really, where do I want to be spending my time? What do I want to be doing? And it's just so much more empowering, because you don't necessarily know that you have so much in common. And so it's so helpful. So I think that uh, looking for those communities based around the activities you want is a uh, it's a
0: really great place to start. Yeah, awesome, man, awesome. I, I love that insight, and uh, I think it's something that that everyone, every single guy, can actually implement. I, I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about masculinity in modern culture. It's something that, um, you know, I've been starting to bring up a little bit more on these on these interviews, and actually talk with guys like you who are who are really at the forefront of their industry. And and really talking about the shift that that you see in modern masculinity, and I know that you know recently there's a lot of. Um, You know, I want to say turmoil, but a lot of uh, controversy around certain things that have been happening in the media. Like you know, Gillette released that ad um, that that seems to have just lit up the internet like a Christmas tree. You know, some some people are like, "Oh, this is the the greatest thing to happen to men and masculinity since ever," and other people are like, "This is everything that's wrong with with the world." Um, So, what what's been your take on on? where where modern masculinity is how it's how it's maybe shifted and then and then we can kind of dive into the 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 Gillette ad and and why it's so controversial but where do you see modern masculinity right now what's what's the challenge that a lot of men might be feeling or facing
1: yeah you know I think that the the conversation that we currently find ourselves in about uh, masculinity as a whole it was one that was sparked from a place of outrage and a response to an outpouring of, of, outright violence against women, you know, as a response to the me too movement. And so the exploration of modern masculinity is, is not just one of you know, what, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a healthy man? What does it mean to, you know, be masculine at all, but it's, what are the implications of masculinity as it relates to, you know, violence against women, uh, of a lot of these other issues. And so, you know, it's been really, I think, dynamic to explore that, that space where so many people are, you know, at the same time, uh, women empowered to share stories of, of sexual assault and trauma that they've never really been liberated to share. And men who are at the same time, you know, starting to explore their identity as a man, as, as masculine, whatever that may be. In this context of what does it mean for me and what are the implications for the people around me and um, you know it's I, I i will talk about the Gillette ad. i think it just kind of seamlessly flows into the whole conversation um, but i think that at the end of the day it's incredibly positive because it brings this conversation this exploration into the limelight you know more people are talking about masculinity mm-hmm. you know whether that's through the frame of, of toxic masculinity than they were two weeks ago. And that's a good thing because it's a great conversation to have. And, you know, it's not a, a conversation that is new by any means. You know, there were all sorts of luminaries that, that came before us, you know, whether it's like Warren Farrell or Robert Greene or, you know, the Iron John guys, or, you know, there's been these these moments in time where, you know, masculinity and what the implications were for lifting up all people were, and I just think that right now it's become such a hot topic because it feels like such a, a necessary conversation to this major media moment that we had with yeah. me too. And, you know, I agree. I agree that it is. And I think that, you know, the, the frame that I take on, on men's work right now is that, you know, this exploration of masculinity, of what it means to be a man is really kind of twofold is that it, it really is about empowering men to become the type of person the type of man that they want to be but that that in that exploration that, that inner work of you know asking yourself big questions like understanding how you relate to other people how you impact other people um is inherently an act of service and i think that that frame is a really important one right now is that by engaging in this conversation is by engaging in this personal inquiry like you will be better not for yourself but for people and like from that place we're going to we're going to move towards a, a safer, you know, more equal society. And so that's, uh, that's how I'm thinking about the conversation right now and why, you know, I've, I've been really excited to, to dig into it and explore it. And, you know, again, I think that the Gillette ad was, was very positive, but at the same time it sparked a conversation for me about things like the usage of the word toxic masculinity. And, you know, for me personally, I don't have a a reaction to that, um, I I also do think that just because I've talked to probably since that hundreds of of people and probably like 50 guys just saying like, what is your response to this? And I had a lot of people who did respond to that saying that they feel like toxic masculinity, that term is an inherent attack on the essence of of Mm -hmm. who they are. They don't see it the way that I do, which is toxic masculinity is a word that refers to a specific grouping of behaviors that we associate with with men, and you know more specifically, if you're looking at the ad, you know, violence against women, dismissing women, um, and so that term in and of itself has been so charged uh, that it, it oftentimes shuts down a conversation before it even starts. Where I think that without a term like toxic masculinity, that if you're just showcasing these types of behaviors, that society is obviously no longer ready to kind of uh, tolerate of. You know whether that's like touching women inappropriately in public, uh, that uh, you, the ad would have been just as effective in modeling these more kind of mature, evolved masculine behaviors that that we want to support in society right now. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts and how, how was your response to
0: it? Yeah, I mean I think it's interesting, right? Because there's there there are two sides to it, right? I think I think the challenge with the terminology toxic masculinity is that a men are tired of hearing it right i think there's a big population of men that as soon as they hear those two words next to each other they tune out um or they become or they become completely run by their reactivity and i and i think the challenge with it is that the perspective to people that maybe haven't dug into the conversation or where the conversations come from or why that conversation is happening, but just to like the average person that, that might not be listening to podcasts like this is that they hear something like toxic masculinity. And if it's not in the right context, it immediately becomes, Oh, masculinity is, is toxic. And I, and I think that that is coming from this perspective that, that really like mainstream media has picked up on this idea that, you know, women are on the rise, the feminine is on the rise. And that's great. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We, we should be empowering women. We should be creating space for them in, in every single way and honoring what they bring to the table as equals. You know, I, I've said it on, I, I, I think I said it on a mini episode once, but is a great quote by Friedrich Nietzsche. And he says, uh, he says, intercourse is not great intercourse unless done with an equal and and it's the idea that that intimacy is intimacy specifically is never great unless we do it with someone who we perceive to be an equal that as soon as we have an imbalance in in, in not necessarily the power but in the perception of this person what this person brings to the table as a man or as a woman or whatever gender they identify as Um, as soon as we look at them and we say, oh, this person is less than me in some capacity, they're no longer my equal, it creates an an imbalance and it's unhealthy. And so I think one of the big challenges is that for men, when they hear the words toxic masculinity, they feel like they are being put below women in a lot of ways, or that there is somehow an attack on, on masculinity at its core and and for most guys they don't differentiate between the fact that that what's being talked about is is a select few qualities that can be very detrimental and and i don't even necessarily know if those qualities are are attributed to modern masculinity as much as they are attributed to an archaic perspective of masculinity. I think the challenge is, is that that archaic version of masculinity is also wrapped up with things like nationalism, <laughs> right? And and nationalistic pride for your country and what it means to be a, a successful contributor to the country that you live in. And so it's not just like one uh, layer that 's being looked at when when we say toxic masculinity it 's like this whole onion that all of a sudden uh, a man 's identity is interconnected with, and I think the the challenge is is that maybe i 'll just wrap up by saying it's i I was laughing really hard at this whole situation. <laughs> I actually got a huge kick out of this because there were men who were completely losing their shit you know that were like that really like this was the end of the world this Gillette commercial was like the end of men you know and and the funny thing is that they are a company you know they they are a company who whose job is to sell razors right that's really what they are there to do and they're going to find whatever mainstream way they can do to market those razors out to people, and they can call it social responsibility. They can call it whatever they want, but at the end of the day, their their campaign is set to drum up attention and awareness so that they can sell more product, right? Like that's that's really from a corporate level what 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 they're doing, uh, whether whether or not it's a, a, like a social responsibility or not. Um, and I think that for some people, they see a corporation creating a message like this. And they won't listen to the message because they question whether the messenger should even be talking about it in the first place. And it cuts them off from actually receiving what they could receive. So as someone that works with companies, where do you see the social responsibility of organizations? Because I I feel like more and more companies are responsible for so much more now than they used to be like, you know, three or four decades ago. So, where do you see the the social responsibility of companies entering into the into the conversation around what it means to be a man or not be a man?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I want to bookmark because I kind of want to go back to some of the things you just said and play like devil's advocate. Yeah. Some of the the angles that I was as I was exploring it online of some of the things that, especially women, were commenting in my posts. But as it relates specifically to CSR and corporate social responsibility. Um, I like to think about it in the idea of kind of, so what is the impact versus what is the intention of what they're doing? And so from an impact standpoint, it has sparked this massive online conversation about masculinity and and more specifically from what I've seen, really toxic masculinity. Um, And in terms of the intention, I think that, again, it's like we are naive if we think that, you know, at the end of the day, a company like P&G didn't test the shit out of this ad and know precisely how their demo was going to respond. And right. you know, when it, this is one of the, the dangers of the internet right now, and I have a lot of friends who are really active in the space. I'd love to get you on with like um, my buddy, Max Dossel or Tristan Harris from the time well spent movement, but they're the guys who really talk about the fundamental mechanisms that we interact with the, the internet through the people who are creating our online universe, you know, that they are optimizing purely. And these aren't people, sorry, these are algorithms now who are much smarter than people. Who are optimizing purely for time on site. So all they care about is what gets you to come onto their site and interact and like as many posts as possible. And What's been proven is that it really is it's outrage. And so the idea of controversy is that these companies are aware that controversy leads to more conversation, which is more visibility, which is what they're after at the end of the day from a, a company standpoint, their bottom line. And so being controversial like really does feed this conversation. And, you know, one of the things that was sent to me that was wild is that when you look at this conversation about the Gillette ad, this has been framed as a controversy, this massive controversy that's blowing up the internet. And while there very much are people and groups that are actively kind of uh, resisting this and, and boycotting Gillette. But if you look at a lot of the articles that have been written, you know, you have people like, even it was like Telegraph and the Daily Mail were the few that I saw where, they had this blogger that did an exploration of the articles they were writing. And what they saw is that as they were using this headline of controversy, the people that they were quoting were people on Twitter who had like 43 followers, you know, and they'd go down and they'd show these dissenting opinions about boycotting Gillette, but they would use all these voices of these really insignificant, possibly just straight up troll accounts mm. to frame this narrative as controversy, because as a content provider, they're, they're dependent on ad dollars. And a controversy is more beneficial for people actually coming to that article, coming to that site. So now we're pulling, you know, these opinions from who knows, who knows, you know, could be Russia the a trucking control farm. <laughs> um, sorry about that. But, and so it's, um, it's really interesting to think about that way of like how much of this really is a controversy and how do we actually know, you know, how heavily people are responding on both sides. And uh, from a CSR standpoint, you know, I was just seeing Esther Perel talk at at Summit Series, and she talks about, again, it's like in a world where, uh, you know, religious institutions and our communities are going away. uh, One aspect to keep in mind here is that people are looking for moral guidance and a sense of purpose from the places that they work. Mm -hmm. And so that's a shift that, especially as an entrepreneur, you know, we actually do need to think about is that we spend a third of our life at work. And, you know, when we look at, number of close ties people have dropping from three to one over the past 20 years, you know, where do people find that sense of purpose and and moral guidance? And in many cases you have companies that are stepping into that place. And it, it, because it's such a new, a new kind of place for these companies to, to exist in the public consciousness, it's difficult to navigate how much of it is, is truly an integrity versus, you know, a technique to, to increase and sustain market share. And, um, so I think again, that from, from this one, it's safe to say that they sparked the conversation and that conversation is, is so valuable. And I mean, just from my personal experience, I got so much out of that exploration online because I had never had such an open dialogue with people about their, their relation to the term toxic message. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the like real benefits to these, to these types of conversations is that it, it does cause people to engage in a discourse of understanding, uh, where they where they stand, right? And I think that's that's part of the benefit. I think the the interesting part is that it it needs to be undertaken, like in the Mantas community on Facebook, for example. We have pretty strict rules, and what I've noticed is that men men specifically engage uh, will engage more when there's conflict. So men, men actually will engage more when there's challenge and conflict that's there. When there's, when there's a polarity of here's an opinion that might go directly against yours. And, and that's what, that's what sparks more of a dialogue. And so it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting approach because with that approach, you also as the curator of the message, whether it's, whether it's you or myself or you know Joe Rogan on his show or or a company a, a a corporation that's creating this this narrative we have to understand and the the implications and the ramifications of of the message that we're about to put out there and and be able to see it from all different sides i think the interesting thing about um i mean the the part that you were saying around you know guys like boycotting Gillette that that's the part that really made me laugh right because it's like well well dollar shave club just uh, markets to you in a very different way, right? Like they just appeal to your ADD and sense of of humor, right? Rather than talking about serious issues, they just market to you in a different way. And I do think that companies have a social responsibility for their employees more so from a moral standpoint now than they ever have, right? More than they ever have, I think people are entering the workplace and looking at their companies for things like purpose and a moral compass, and being able to understand what's what's right and wrong, because maybe those things aren't uh, as clear, because they haven't grown up in in a in a community where those things were very clear. I do think that there were some very. Uh, Poignant moral lessons from the commercial. So let's actually talk about the content of the commercial. What were some of your takeaways from the commercial itself, and and the lessons that it was trying to convey to men about things like rites of passage and empathy, and, and and what else did you see in the commercial?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that at a first glance, my reaction was was really overarchingly positive. And so, I mean, I look at it, and so what are we what are we advocating men not to? Okay, so we don't want Men to catcall objectively women on the street. That seems like a pretty clear thing that I'm okay not celebrating. Uh, and then you go to like one of the next ones of a guy saying, like, you know, hey, honey, which I mean, I've had friends and, and people online have said, you know, that's not as clear of like, what was the guy going to say after that if you really wanted to be nitpicky. And then the next one was someone saying, smile for me, cutie. Objectively, I'm not okay with someone saying that. That just seems like objectifying and like within the context that I saw, like just kind of like a douchebag thing to do. And then the next one where it gets a little more confusing was, you know, the two kids wrestling, um, which is like, is that a kid who's bullying another kid and fighting him? Or is that two kids wrestling? And so I think that a lot of the content in the clear and a lot of the content in the ad was very clear about advocating for this mature masculinity of men who are compassionate, who Honor women who don't dismiss the opinions of women who take care of each other who don't have to fight to solve conflict. Brilliant, and I mean, if we just wanted to go into some of the the moments that you know we're not necessarily as clear of, like it's been interesting to hear Jonathan Haidt from like the Heterodox Academy talk a little more about his book that just came out called The Coddling of the American Mind, and he talks about something like roughhousing and how you know we're biologically as parents conditioned to. Perceive threats and protect our kids, but as you know, the deluge of, of external threats have gone away. We don't deal with saber-toothed tigers anymore. You know, our biology hasn't changed as quickly, and so we're still looking for threats. And so, our kids, basically, kind of arguing or wrestling or you know, facing criticism, getting bullied, we view those as threats that can harm our kids. When there's a lot of research that backs up that that type of rough play, especially for boys, is really essential for their development. And being able to directly interact with the experience of bullying to an extent, you know, can be very helpful for helping people to build up the internal wherewithal uh, and resilience to work through those situations, which ultimately is, is more empowering for the individual. And I say that, you know, with a grain of salt, that to an extent, you know, I think that sometimes when things get into overt violence or, you know, traumatic bullying, that, you know, it certainly makes sense for someone to step in. But an instance like that, where I think that, you know, even something I saw in our thread that we had on Facebook was uh, someone talking about how like they wrestled. I mean, I know I did. I don't know about you, but like those two kids on the ground, I remember wrestling with a kid and, and breaking my arm like in a situation that was right there. But I don't know if that situation was that, that I would qualify it mm. as toxic as a behavior that, you know, is not healthy. Like I didn't view it as that. I, I, I was two kids. Who were you know going at it at the playground, and it was, I it was a friend of mine. So um, you know, I think some of those things are a little unclear. And but at the end of the day, uh, I think that the message was was very clear. And, and the the terminology that I I like to use is some of the stuff that comes from King Warrior Magician Lover. They they talk about it as the kind of the the paradigm of immature masculinity to mature mm-hmm. masculinity, where it's kind of immature masculinity or those that are founded really on you know, the the need to dominate, to dismiss, and this is not just women, but really kind of anyone, the, the perpetrator of, of violence, whereas, you know, the the mature masculinity is that which evolves. And this is why these rites of passage are so important is because I think that rites of passage are, are these moments, these experiences that allow people to reshape their sense of self and their sense of responsibility to their tribe, you know, whether that is their partner, their family, their community, and when we go through those rites of passage, we're able to accept new levels of responsibility uh, and compassion for others. You know, it's we start to transcend the self and live a life that's more grounded in in service, and uh, and so that's where I think you know I, I see some of this stuff going and, and how rites of passage play into it, and a dissection of the end.
0: I love it. I love it because I think what you're really pointing to there and and talking about is is important. You know, the distinction between immature masculinity and the mature masculine is is very apparent. I think that's actually, you know, sort of sums up what is being experienced in mainstream media and culture right now when men are being talked about, right? Is that is that a lot of the immature a lot of the behaviors of the immature masculine is being called out and those types of men are being called forward into maturing into a more respectful version of the masculine. It doesn't mean that we have to give up these, um, you know, these parts of, of being able to train ourselves in, you know, Brazilian jiu jitsu or boxing or whatever it is. It doesn't mean that we can't train ourselves in that capacity or embrace the primal side of our masculinity, um, but but more around how do we actually be respectful and embody mature masculinity in all of those spaces as often as humanly possible. I think it does bring up a question that relates to the other work that you do, which is um, what has happened to our rites of passage as men over the past, you know, decades and hundreds of years that have started to fall apart, that have caused that has that has really caused like this surge in uh immature masculine because i think that's uh, for me at least in the work that i do with men one-on-one and in groups and and online i really see that distinction is that if, if a man hasn't gone through some form of an initiation either by having a, a healthy masculine role model in his life to really talk to him about being a man or or being masculine that there is inevitably an immaturity that that shows up in that space. So maybe I'll just hand that over to you and and get your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? And you can really point to where these rites of passage have gone. And, um, you know, one of the the markers of uh, ritual rite of passage is is it's been passed up from, you know, ancient civilization and, and current indigenous communities is this idea of accepting new responsibility. It's stepping into a new status and recognition from a community of people and accepting new responsibility. And so, you know, rites of passage are alive and well. And you look at the ones that do exist. And and honestly, for men, some of those that are the most prevalent are sports. And sports were a huge part of my life all the way through college and how I connect with most of my friends. And also as a rite of passage, it's, it's a, you know, a lot of the message that comes through that is really about the physicality is about winning, is about dominance. You know, there are a lot of other elements that come out of that, but I mean, for so many men, I think that uh, sports and athletics and the mentality that that brings about is one of the most prevalent rites of passage that that does exist still. And certainly you have, you know, the military that's still a, a force in terms of a rite of passage for so many. Uh, but then also, you know, some of those that were more prevalent in religious institutions as religious involvement amongst young people has consistently started to decline, you you lose some of those. And I would say that, you know, as I look at uh, bar mitzvah specifically as one that's still around, as I've talked to a lot of guys about that, of like, did this fundamentally develop your sense of being a man? And a lot of them say yes, and, and many of them are like, absolutely not. And so they're, they're torn on that. But here's where the really important rites of passage have gone, is that we, we exist in a time now where two really important milestones in men's lives are being delayed significantly. And those are child rearing and marriage. And so you look at the age that, that men used to have children, and it was in their early 20s. And so this meant that, you know, when kids are coming out of college, they're having a child, you know, really, really young. You look at the age that men used to get married and it would be, again, early 20s, whereas now men are having children in their 30s. It's like men are getting married more commonly than ever in their 40s and 50s. And so these are two really important culturally accepted rites of passage where you stepped into a new status of responsibility, is that you were taking care of a partner. You were taking care of a family. And again, the the type of responsibility that we step into there just leads to this fundamental call to service, to support other people. And that experience fundamentally transforms a human. Um, I really believe that. And so as those two fundamental rites of passage have been delayed to later in life, Mm -hmm. is that you get a lot of men who are really missing out on those two fundamental ones. And they've experienced you know the the rites of passage, like sports and religious ones, that do exist, um, but that they they really don't have this opportunity to step into a new status of responsibility so directly. They don't have an opportunity to step into manhood uh, from a place of here is my commitment to myself and my community, and so you know that's why an organization like Mankind Project has been around for a very long time. I think there's an amazing. A job with their new initiation. I love, you know, what Dan Doty and the guys at Everyman do of creating kind of, I think what, what feels like a little bit more of a, a modern, like softer approach, that kind of initiation. And, and with Junta, we're trying to do something similar of like, how do you, how do you create an experience that connects men and allows them to do just that really explore who they are? What are the experiences that have made them who they are and, and develop that sense of, of what it means to be a man and then kind of deconstruct that and, and allow them to realize that, you know, they get to say what it means to be a man. They get to understand how they will be of service, who they want to be in the people of their lives. And when you get to do that in community, it's so powerful because it's again, it's, it's one thing to come to a realization on your own, but it's a, it's a completely different thing to declare that in front of a group of people to be seen and to be celebrated for stepping into that is such a powerful thing. So, you know, that is really what's most exciting for, for me and with the Junto is, you know, is how do we curate all the best stuff that's happening? But what I'm most excited about is, is right now is really structuring a, a rite of passage that's almost templatized so that people can create these types of experiences for, for young men, for recent grads, for groups of friends, anyone who wants to, like, just take an opportunity to create one of these experiences uh, for people in their lives and to, To really kind of step into mature masculinity on on their own
0: terms. Nice. Nice, man. I mean, that's, that is very much needed in the world. And, and um, you know, I, I definitely am aligned with, with that mission. And I think a lot of the stuff that we do in the, in the man talks weekends, like when we do a men's weekend or uh, run a run any type of group, it's with the, it's with the understanding of like bringing men through part of that journey of initiation um, that maybe they never got growing up, or maybe they never even thought about. And I think that I think the interesting thing, the benefit of the commercials like Gillette and some of these conversations, is that it's actually causing men to think about whether or not they have defined for themselves what it means to be a man and what it means to be masculine. And and what it would mean to raise a son, you know, or or even a daughter, but to raise a son to become a man, to become masculine, and and I think it's really making a lot of men question what is healthy, like where are the lines, and and what is not healthy, what's damaging to themselves, to their family systems, to their to their communities and societies. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, we could we could go on this topic forever and ever, but uh, yeah, I think we've I think we've unfortunately run out of time. And so maybe just leave our listeners with a little bit of a, a snippet into uh, what you're excited about for what's what's awaiting you in 2019 and, and just a little bit around where they can find you.
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks, man. Again, I really appreciated the conversation. And you know what I'll say about this, and one thing I'd love to part for people who may take what we've said here and spark their own dialogues is to just emphasize again that anytime you're stepping into a conversation that might be kind of uh, tinged with a little bit of controversy or may trigger people that to have the, the fundamental belief that you're going in to discover, to learn and not to win. It's like, what is your belief? What are you taking into that? And understanding that the goal is to learn as much as possible about what the other person thinks. And when someone else, basically, when you go in with that kind of openness you can really articulate that to someone else who might be trying to articulate why what you're saying is wrong or bad and just ask them a question of like, is what you're saying right now opening up a dialogue, allowing people to grow? Are you immediately shutting this down so you can feel more woke, you know, more kind of ethical than I am? And you know, that that really should just be the goal for all of this is that we're all just learning, we're all just figuring it out. And that as long as you go in with that mentality, I think everyone is going to be much more capable of having this really important conversation. And growing on their own terms. So, uh, so I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about it. So, what I'm most excited about right now? Well, uh, we do a bi monthly men's retreat uh, around the country, mostly in New York. But uh, so we have our next Junto weekend on March 1st. And uh, this year, we're going to be developing this templatized curriculum for a ritual rite of passage. So whether you want to come and join us or whether you have a community of guys, whether that's at work, whether that's your close guy friends, whether that is a fraternity, whether that's a sports team. And you want to go and create one of these really incredible opportunities for you guys to talk honestly about what it means to be a man. Uh, what are the experiences that have contributed to your identity as masculine, whatever it may be, uh, that we're going to have a completely free free toolbook that's available for you guys to, uh, to create those. So uh, just go to WeJunto, uh, sign up for the list, and uh, as soon as that's ready, we're going to send that out. And uh, again, I think that what we're most excited about is reinvigorating the public consciousness with the... The need for these types of ritual rites of passage for men to step into uh, mature masculinity to to be all they want to be and really be of service to the world so that's uh what we're most excited about and what you guys can check out
0: right now awesome brother awesome awesome thank you so much for joining me today and for everyone that's out there listening uh we will have all of the links to andrew's sites in the show notes you can check that all out there uh, and go check out junto and the work that he's doing outside of that uh, don 't forget to share this episode minute four with just one person that could enjoy the dialogue or that you think should listen to this episode. Uh, Don't forget to leave us a review on whatever platform you're on. We are on Google play and Spotify and iTunes We're we're on all the, all the big names now. Uh, So don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. So that's it for us today. Uh, This is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.